Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Amen. John chapter 1. And let me say this. I said in the first service, um, Pastor Michael Koulianis of Jesus Image has said that every believer needs to have a good understanding of John chapter 1. So if you haven't read through John chapter 1 lately, there is so much there. Read through it slowly, prayerfully, and do that today. And then tomorrow... Do it again. Matter of fact, do it every day this, this week. Do it seven times. Do it prayerfully, slowly, every day this week. John chapter 1. There's enough there. There will be new revelation for you every day. I believe that. It is loaded. John chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 35, beginning with verse 35. It says, The next day John was there again, with two of his disciples. Now let's stop there and begin to understand the context and who the characters are of who we're, we're talking about and reading about. And if you will slip back, if you have your Bible, the written word, go back to verse 6, and I think they'll throw it up on the board as well, and you'll begin to see who this man John is. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It is not the author of this book. The author of this book is the disciple John. This is John, who we know as John the Baptist. This is a different John. And so he's being introduced here in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7, he came as a witness. This is his purpose. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. And the light was Jesus. You see that in the first five verses. Jesus, we see Jesus as the word. We see Jesus as the life. We see Jesus as the light. He came to testify concerning the light so that through him, through Jesus, all might believe. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So we learn who one of the characters in this story are, and that's John, John the Baptist. And we learn what his purpose is, and that is to testify, to point to Jesus. Do you know the whole Old Testament points to Jesus? From the, almost the very beginning, there's just a laser pointing to Jesus. They're trying to get to Jesus as quick as they can. It took them a long time, but we finally get to Jesus. Look at, oh, and there again, let me mention this too. You see the place, the next day John, this is still verse 35, was there again with two of his disciples. And I'm just trying to show you as you read through, there are times where you can stop and make sure you know where you are in the, the geography. Have you ever wondered why all those maps are in the back? There's a reason why the maps are in the back. You probably have a map that says the life of Jesus map. And if you would look at the life of Jesus map, some of these places, it is in mine, you would begin to see them and you begin to locate and understand the geography. The Bible is a Jewish-centered central book. Pastor said that many times. It is a Middle Eastern book and we have to understand it within the context of where it is written. So go back up to verse 28, and you're going to see exactly where John was. John 1, 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So now we know the place. It's happening in Bethany. 
on the other side of the Jordan. If you read through the Gospels, you're going to read a lot about another Bethany. And it's a Bethany where Lazarus lived, Mary and Martha, only two miles from Jerusalem. It's not that Bethany. It's another Bethany. So it's kind of like if I were to ask you all to meet me in Mount Vernon, you would automatically say, no, you're not going to say which one. Mount, I'll meet you in Mount Vernon, you're going to say what? Indiana or Illinois, absolutely. I know you know what that is. So that's just immediate. We think that, right? Where, where am I going? So that's what was happening here. Same town, two different places, all right? The same name. Look at verse 36. When he saw Jesus passing by, John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So here is John in the story. John the Baptist, he's baptized Jesus already, and he sees Jesus, so he has two of his disciples with him. Jesus probably has some people with him. There are probably other groups of folks around, so there's a group of people, and they're outside. And here is John the Baptist. It's the same guy that called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. It's that guy. I have a feeling John was a little crazy, potentially, or at least loud, and so here's the story, and he sees Jesus, and he says, look, the Lamb of God. A little mm to it. But go back to verse 29. If you look at verse 29, you see the exact same scenario. John had been talking to the Pharisees before this, and then verse 29 starts out the same way verse 35 does. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, and there's a little bit added there, who takes away the sin of the world. So he gives this testimony for the second time in our passage that we're looking at. And to his Jewish audience, when he says, Look, the Lamb of God, they would have known immediately what he was talking about. We're like, eh. But they knew the sacrifice, what the lamb meant in relationship to sacrifice because they had done it over and over and over and over. When they saw the lamb, they thought sacrifice. They thought it's going to deal, help us deal with our sin. And so when John makes this statement, look the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they would have picked up on that immediately, that audience. And it really is the gospel message, isn't it? Pointing directly at Jesus, identifying who he is, a sacrificial lamb, a perfect, a perfect lamb, sinless, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? That's the message. And here is John giving the message. Now, the important thing to note here, a couple things, one, where did John get this message? You say, well, that was his cousin. Yeah, but John's been hanging out in the wilderness. He's, he's, they've been disconnected for a while. Jesus has been making chairs or whatever he's been doing, his carpentry work. So it's not necessarily like they're hanging together. John had a mission, and what was John's mission? Witness to this guy, to give testimony to this guy, Right? But the revelation came when John baptized him, and you see it in these other verses, and I won't take time to go there, but the revelation to John came 
when he baptized Jesus and the Spirit of God descended and remained on Jesus. God had told John, the one who comes and the Spirit falls on them and remains, that is the one. He already had the revelation. And the revelation that he had from God led to the testimony. And the testimony is powerful. It comes from the revelation, you see that? But then John doesn't keep the testimony to himself, does he? He speaks it out, he releases it. How many times does he release it in these few verses? At least two times on two different days. So it's like Amber Carroll never telling her testimony ever again. Amber needs to tell it over and over and over and over and over because it's powerful, because it's coming from a revelation that she received where? From God. Amber's not the only one. You know, I don't know if you found this to be true or not, but I have in my travels and conversations with people Have you ever noticed that people like to argue? No? Okay. (laughs) I'm the only one. Maybe it's me. (laughs) Maybe I'm the argumentative one. (laughs) Maybe it's all my fault. But, you know, I have found that people will argue about just about anything. Have you noticed that? It's almost like they just enjoy it. You say this, they say that. But what I have found when I'm talking to people about Jesus, if I tell them my story, if I give them my testimony, there's not much room for argument. This is what he's done for me. I think probably part of my problem is I haven't said it over and over and over. The power, I'm learning about the power of the testimony. What has God done for you? Keep telling it. Keep telling it. Keep telling it. Some of you need to do a testimony video Amen. Amen. (laughs) We've got some that we're waiting. Give your testimony. It's important. And so we see that here with John having the revelation and giving this spoken word. So what happens when John gives this testimony? Look at verse 37. When the two disciples that were following John heard John say this, they followed Jesus. So the power of the testimony, I believe, moves people. I believe the power of your testimony will move people. And we see that here. These two disciples who have been following John, but have heard this testimony, the revelation from the testimony, now begin to turn and follow Jesus. Now, let me say something about this word follow. It's very important. This word in Scripture really has three different levels to it. The first level, and it's really a proximity thing, a distance thing. The first level is someone who is following but at a distance. I'll follow you kind of maybe, okay? If you go right, I'm gonna, I might go left. So I'm following, but I'm not really committed. Does that sound familiar? So there's some people, no one here, but there are some people, other churches, other places, that are following Jesus, but not, I don't 
want to get too close. Don't need to be, that's a little too committed. I'll stay back. Yeah, it's too much. That's good. But then the next level is the one that says, I, I, I want to learn. I want to get close enough where I can hear what they're saying. I think their words have some value. And so again, the distance now closes, the proximity closes, and I step a little closer so I can begin to hear and listen and learn. You know what that's called? A disciple. A disciple's a learner. They're desiring to hear what the teacher is saying. That's the next level. You know what the final level is? It's not only the person that is close and desiring to learn, but their commitment level is such that they are willing to go with that person to the very end. They are committed unto death. They believe what they're saying. They bought it wholeheartedly, and we're with you. And we're going to stay with you until the very end. And so that's the three different levels we see here of following. But right now, for these two guys, they're at a distance. But then we get to verse 38. Look at verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? So they've started to follow Jesus. Jesus physically makes a move toward them to recognize them. And then it says he sees them. And in the original language here, the word see there is a little different than just seeing. You know, there are times we say, yeah, yeah, I see that. Are there other times when you look intensely at someone, when you really lock in on somebody and you really see it? That's this word. That's what Jesus is doing. Not only has he physically recognized them and turned to them, but he is intently looking at them. As you read through the Gospel of John, what you're going to see with Jesus is you're going to see him talk over and over again. He's going to reference things like, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. And so when the people would say he speaks with great authority and power, you would speak with great authority and power if you only said what the father said. That's where the authority comes from. That's where Jesus, where that came, he's listening. He's going up on the mountain to pray. He's listening and then he's coming back. And he's speaking with authority because it's what the Father told him to say. And so we see in this passage, we're beginning to understand the nature of God. And I, I can't say enough that people, people's understanding of who God is is off. Have you noticed that? People start to talk about God and they have all these different thoughts about God. And uh, probably we, they can blame us for some of that. But, but who God truly is, we're seeing it right here at the very beginning of this gospel that Jesus is showing us. 
he turns and he sees him. One of the names of God, one of my favorite names of God, and I encourage you, I've, I've got a little plastic folder and I just carry it with me, that talks about all the names of God, who he is, who his nature is. And you know, he can't help but be who he is. It's his nature. He can't help it. So this word here and, and the nature that you're seeing is the Hebrew word L, E-L, which is God, and then Roy, R-O-I, L, two words, the God who sees. And that's so important to lock in. You know, if you get nothing else, get this today, the God who sees you. You know, we have many people here today, and if we were to go around the room, people are dealing with different circumstances. There are things going on in your life and family members' lives, financially, uh, physically, stuff's happening. Amen? I mean, it, all of us, stuff's going on. Do you know he sees you? Do you know he cares? Do you know he understands your situation? And, you know, maybe even today, maybe no one even today here even said hello to you. I hope that didn't happen, but it could. God sees you. You know why? Because he can't help it. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's like Jehovah Rapha. He can't help it. He can't help but heal. It's just his nature. Jehovah Jireh, provider. He just, he just is. Amen? Study the names of God. Google it. There are many names of God. Begin to understand the nature of of God, but we're seeing this picture here in Jesus. But not only does he turn, not only does he speak, not only does he see them, but he speaks to them. And you see the question, and it's the title of today's message. What do you want? You see it there. And if you have a red letter Bible, hopefully you notice this is the first time you've seen the red. This is the first red in this gospel. And Jesus asks a question. What do you want? And that is a bottom line kind of question. I don't know how many of you are bottom line kind of people. I think maybe guys tend to be that way a little bit more. Let's just get to the bottom, cut to the chase, all the phrases we've got. Just give it to me. And that's especially true with children. And we have some kids in here today. And parents, I think you can probably relate to this. When your child comes to you and they're a little nicer than normal <laughs> and they begin to compliment you and, and I don't know about you, but in, in kids, kids, let me fill you in on something. We already know. We know the gig. We probably did the gig. So it's not new. But as a parent, some of you, again, are maybe more patient than I am, but eventually you go, what do you want? Just get to it. Spit it out. <laughs> and so that's, that's where Jesus is at. What, what, is, what do you want? The original word there is what are you seeking? He says to these disciples, what are you, what are you seeking? Just, just what, do you, what do you want? And as I thought about this and read this, I had, I thought, well, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Jesus, good question. And I started to think through what my answers would be. And maybe you're thinking about some answers. What do you want? 
we can't go around the room, but it'd be interesting <laughs> to see what, how you would answer that. But as I thought through my answers, not one of them matched the answers these disciples gave. It wasn't on my list. It wasn't in my mind. It was nowhere near what I was thinking. But we get an answer from the two disciples when Jesus asked them this very bottom line pointed question, what do you want? And you see what they say? Where are you staying? Now, I'm going to give you full transparency. I hate it when people answer a question with a question. That is a pet peeve of mine. And when I first met my wife, Melody, she did it all the time. We're still married, so I got over it, but she did it all. <laughs> she did, drove me crazy. <laughs> I'm sure I drove her crazy. <laughs> but this is a pet peeve. I hate it when people answer a question with a question. But this is what happened. So these guys go, where are you staying? And that word staying in the original language means to abide. So they're saying, where are you abiding? Where are you dwelling? Where is your presence? Are you picking up on this? So there are lots of good answers to the question, but I think they have the best answer. They know the most important thing they can do is go and spend time with Jesus. And that's an important thing for us to think about today. The presence, and we talk about it here a lot, don't we? It's our number one core value. His presence is everything. Taking time to be in the presence of God is critical. And these disciples understood that. Now, keep looking. You see the response of Jesus when they ask him that, that question. He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. So Jesus gives them the invitation, you know, fine. And I started to think about that. I thought, you know, there are a lot of famous people, that, different ones that we like and so forth. Can you imagine running into them and they recognize, they say, hey, what do you, you, know, what do you want? And you, and you ask them, where are you staying? Do you think there are any famous people you know? They say, well, can just hang, come on, let's go. I mean, nobody's going to do this, right? But Jesus, this, this, is the, this is the nature of God. This is the invitation of God. Jesus is beginning to show them who the Father is. Come, you are welcome to spend time in my presence. Now, the question I had as I was looking through this is, what do you think that conversation was like? What do you think the conversation was like walking to where Jesus was actually staying. Do you think they did all the talking? What do you think the they were with him for probably multiple hours? Do you think they monopolized the conversation? I was at a conference this week and I was sitting with one of the speakers for breakfast and this was one of the speakers of the conference. And an attendee of the conference came up and began to talk with us, and then they never stopped. And I'm sitting there, because they're not talking to me, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is the speaker. You might ask them questions. You might want to know what they're thinking. <laughs> 
I mean, do you think the two disciples said, Jesus, let me tell you about John the Baptist. Let me tell you what we've been doing. We've been baptizing, and they start going into all their ministry and all the things they've been doing. Or do you think there was a lot of listening? Or do you think there were a lot of questions being asked, trying to understand? Well, let's find out the answer. Look at, I think, verse 40. Andrew, so now we learn one of the two disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, the testimony, and who had followed Jesus. Most scholars believe the other disciple that was with Andrew was the author of this book, John. Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did, now we're beginning to talk about priority, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him testimony, tell him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So the time spent with Jesus changed their priorities. Let me say it again. I don't think everybody heard that. The time spent with Jesus changed what it was they were doing. When we got into the water two years ago, life was good. Life was fine. I, I was a believer. I was coming to church. We were serving in the pantry faithfully. We'd served in the pantry for years. I was discipling people. I was doing what I felt called to do. But when I got into the water, there was a question that Jesus asked after that. He asked me to count the cost. He asked me to count the cost. And if you know me very well, one of the things that I am most concerned about is time. And I think the older I get, maybe some of you can relate, time becomes something we think about. <laughs> and so he said, I need more of your time. I need more of your time. And so my encounter with Jesus in the water changed my priorities. I remember driving by the golf course, and I don't want you to think I played a lot of golf, but I like to play golf. And this is nothing about golf, so please don't misunderstand me. But for me, after that, I was driving by the car on my golf course, and he just said, you don't have time. You don't have time. My priorities changed after an encounter with Jesus. And that's what happens. You're going to start to listen to things that you maybe haven't listened to and not listen to things you have. The movies you've watched, you might not watch. Priorities change. Priorities change. Count the cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. And that happened with Andrew. The first thing, Andrew changed his priorities. The first thing that became a matter of importance, Andrew did, was to go and find his brother, Simon. And I would submit to you today that Simon was the most important person to Andrew. Simon was the most important person to Andrew. Who is the most important person to you? Who is the most important person to you? And let me ask it this way. Who's the most important person to you who doesn't know Jesus? Are you praying for them? Are you faithfully praying for them? Have you shared the testimony with them? 
So it says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, here's the testimony again, and what is the testimony? We have found the Messiah. And again, within context, if you could understand, your, your excitement level doesn't match what it would have been because if you have a group of people looking for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who could take away their sins, do away with the sacrificial system of the lambs over and over and over and over, and this one time my sins are dealt with, and now I am made right with God. It's a big deal. They had been longing, looking, praying, thinking, talking. It was everything to them, the Messiah. And these two disciples spent time with Jesus... That was their decision. He asked them the question, what do you want? And they made a decision. The presence was the most important. Jesus revealed to them who he was, the Messiah. It changed Andrew's priorities. And the first thing he did was go and tell his brother the testimony. And then he brought him. I don't know if that was grabbing him, bringing him, but like, let's go. We got to go see the Messiah. But it says, and he brought him to Jesus. Everything changes, everything changes when we meet Jesus. The living King of Kings, he is alive. And that's what we see in these waters. That's what we see week after week around this altar. People coming, not to us, not to a church, not to any individual, but to the King of Kings. Because only the King of Kings can change people's lives and hearts, right? And he is alive. Amen? And so we see this at the end of this story. And it's the same pattern that you saw with John. So here's Andrew who has the revelation. He spent time with Jesus. He has a revelation. And then he gives the testimony. And the testimony leads to movement. And he goes to his brother and tells him about Jesus. Stand with me if you will. We have already had a significant morning today. Things happening, words being given. And my expectation is in giving my heart, my innermost being, in worship to Him every Sunday. I, I, that's what I know is going to happen. But I know that's going to happen on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday that I give my heart to Jesus in worship. Because he asked us the same questions that he asked of these disciples. What do you want? And that's to every single person because the answers would be completely different for all of us. Jesus saying to you, what do you want? And let me submit to you the very best answer, and there are a lot of answers, is where are you staying? To be in his presence, to put ourselves in a position of listening to him. So many times we like to talk. We like to fill a space with noise. I'm that way. And he's desiring to speak to us 
the invitation is the same. You read it through the Gospels. Jesus' invitation is always the same. Come, come, come follow me. Every person Jesus called in the New Testament, he called publicly. So that step that we take, and I'll never forget as a 12-year-old boy, gymnasium in Carmi, Illinois, the step I took at the end of a service in front of hundreds of people was the most important step I ever took. To say yes to Jesus. And there have been other steps like saying, yes, I want to be immersed. And that was a step I took. And you all can talk about different things. You have your own testimony of a step you took. There's something important in taking a step. It's a step of faith. If we can do everything on our own, faith is not needed. Faith is not needed. God is moving us, all of us, into the uncomfortable. He's moving us to a place of being uncomfortable because that's the new. That is the new that he's calling us to. And he says, come, come. I want to show you. Come and see. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.